You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the latest edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com and minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon, joined by Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill, both of whom are in uh, New York City. Has it warmed up there? What's going on with you dudes? No, it's snowing. It is. Really? Well, Same here. Yesterday, anyway. Yeah. Or maybe now it's a bit more of a sleet. Lovely. Um, yeah. I haven't Fun. been outside yet. I average, you know, eight eight to ten minutes a day outside. I haven't <laughs> I haven't gotten uh, gotten gotten out there yet, but uh, looking forward to it. Sam, what about you? It, no, I, I, my outdoor time is limited to shoveling this morning. <laughs> I want to point um, out that Sam is wearing, I think, the same hoodie that he's worn for like our last three Zoom calls. Don't judge me. This is why I put backgrounds here, so people don't judge me on Zoom calls. So don't don't take that to the the podcast. Um, it's a very comfortable sweatshirt. Okay. It's, it's the WNBA logo. It's, it's, it's very popular around. It's a good hoodie. It is a very comfortable hoodie. It's as, it feels as good as it looks. Uh, please stop judging me. (laughs) (laughs) On a a serious judgment or serious thing, just real quick. I know we talked about it's, it's snowing here in New York and it's snowing people, Colorado. We just want to let anybody know in Texas and and in the South, we're thinking of you guys. It's, it's a really rough time. Um, I have a really, really good friend in, in Austin, Texas. And they've lost power, obviously, and um, you know, hopefully, it's going to warm up there soon, and everybody's going to get power again. But uh, at a time when we're celebrating so many things about the spring and, right. and spring training and minor league schedules and all that, uh, just know that we are thinking about you. Hopefully, everything is going to get better real soon, and and stick it out as best you can seconded all of that and uh if you found some time to let us uh, give you some smiles hopefully for uh, an hour or so on this week's episode of the show we give you our biggest thanks as always you can get in touch with us podcast at milb.com we do have a uh, a listener question that we're going to get to this week and uh going to talk about a lot of good stuff and we are going to kick it off with some news that we have been waiting for uh like an oasis in the desert over the last couple of calendar years it feels like and uh here it is today As of 12.19 p.m. Eastern time today, quote, Major League Baseball announced the 2021 Minor League Baseball schedule in full on Thursday, which begins with 20 AAA clubs currently planned to play MILB opening day presented by Stouffer's on Tuesday, April 6th, with another 10 AAA clubs starting two days later on Thursday, April 8th. All 90 MILB clubs across AA, high A, and low A pay attention to this, are scheduled to start their campaigns to launch their 2021 campaigns on Tuesday, May 4th. Triple-A season will total 142 games, while double-A, high-A, and low-A leagues will include 120 regular season contests. Uh, That is a 2021 change only, uh, as we know right now, for the double-A and class-A levels. It uh, is a topic that we discussed a few weeks ago on the show so much more of an opportunity for social distancing and to follow the health and safety protocols uh, for the major league and AAA affiliates. If they are the only ones at the complexes in Arizona and Florida to get things started, then there'll be a minor league spring training about a month later. Um, But I immediately want to spin this to uh, our business of baseball guru, Benjamin Hill. Ben, I think the toughest thing about the last year and a half from a minor league baseball standpoint is 
the lifeblood of minor league baseball front offices, minor league baseball franchises, uh, and the livelihoods for minor league baseball employees depend on games, being able to sell tickets, being able to sell mini plans, being able to sell advertising and sponsorship and all of that without a schedule. And obviously without a season last year, that was an impossibility waiting around for the schedule for this year has been very difficult, but it's here now. This is a massive step for minor league front offices and minor league staffs. Um, And what does it mean to you to see it? And I would imagine to have heard from a lot of people today around the industry. And what does this mean for them? Yeah. uh, Despite all the uncertainties going forward and certainly uh, today is no doubt a positive day. I mean, if you, are on Twitter and follow minor league baseball teams and people who follow the world, this, that whole world, you know, a lot of the news has been met kind of uh, sardonically. That's a word I like to use uh, with, oh, great. But when's the schedule coming out? You know, something else would happen. Great. When's the schedule coming out? Uh, teams are been quietly or not so quietly going crazy waiting for the schedule because that is the base upon which you plan uh, your whole season, obviously, the schedule is the season. And uh, of course, you know, there's a lot to talk about, you know, from the player end and player development end and what that means. And I'm sure you guys will get to that, to that. but from an operational end, um, that's how you put things in place. I mean, you really can't sell tickets to games without knowing when you're playing. You cannot plan your promotions when you don't know when you're playing. Uh, a lot of game-specific sponsorships and the parameters of them, you, you have to know when you are playing and on and on. Uh, 2020, obviously, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, teams had already sunk, you know, it was just, it was such a loss, um, even above and beyond what it felt like to the average fan, because the teams have sunk all the money into planning 2020. And that a lot of that is, you know, costs and uh, expense you can't recoup. Um, So they are really having to dig themselves out of a hole now. And uh, starting the season with, it'll depend on the area with reduced operation operating capacities. Uh, on one hand, you can announce a sellout very easily, and that'll that'll feel good. And you know, minor league teams, being what they are, are going to be talking constantly about their sellout streaks and whatnot. But think of the expenses involved in just employing a staff, uh, you know, game day staff. You know, in addition to your full time operation, uh, the expenses of just running a game, um, turning the lights on. I mean, everything that is involved with opening a stadium and welcoming people. Uh, that's a lot of costs up front that you have to recoup. And uh, when you're only, if a sellout, let's say in a 8,000 capacity stadium is now 2,000 people, um, there's only so much you can make, uh, only so much revenue you can get on any given day. So it's going to be tough. And I don't think, you know, in 2021 will be a transitional year in so many ways um, because teams, you know, lost staff, lost so much money. You know, they couldn't really plan a promo schedule and crazy um, theme nights and theme jerseys and X, Y, and Z um, for the season because A, they didn't have the money and B, they didn't know exactly what the parameters of the season would be. Uh, what we will have is, you know, a lot of holdovers from 2020, you know, theme nights or giveaways that are evergreen or at least evergreen enough to uh, to push forward in the following year. Um, but in terms of what, you know, what I cover, the things surrounding the game, you know, I think it'll be pretty slow going on that front. I think in a lot of ways, the promotion uh, it will feel like a promotion in and of itself just to be hosting baseball. I mean, what more do you need in a lot of ways uh, with teams trying to get as close to break even as possible with the limited capacities and hopefully fingers crossed with some 2020 holdovers, 
some uh, old school minor league baseball creativity. Uh, we can see some real fun stuff happening towards the end of the season. And again, always looking forward, always looking ahead and going full steam into 2022. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a good point about like what we could see at the end of the year. Um, we're already seeing it today in some of these announcements. I know like Carolina announced it basically like it was Netflix uh, announcing when they will be playing certain clubs at home and, and having like the video was very cool. And Durham had healthcare workers from around the Durham area sharing the news and um, all that kind of stuff. So it seems like teams are firing on all cylinders right now creatively. And, I, and I'm really excited to see what they can do once we are closer to 100% capacity and they are trying to bring as many people to the ballpark uh, as they can. Uh, a couple of things I just want to point out here real quick, you know, Ben mentioned player development stuff. Um, so just the logistics of what these schedules look like. We have six game homestands, which means all Mondays are off. Uh, game series will start on Tuesday. You play the same team all the way to Sunday. Uh, honestly, the, we can say a lot about what that means for how series are going to look, but I don't think we're going to know until we see it put into practice. We're not going to know how players feel about it until they're doing it. Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what rivalries develop as a six game series goes along. Um, are we going to see teams get on each other's nerves? Are we going to see teams pick up on certain things as a, as a series goes? Like, will it sway a certain direction if one team can just scout better? Uh, that'll be fascinating. Um, that Monday off, I think it's going to be kind of good for the entire sport. We're all going to kind of have that one day to take a breath, but it's going to allow that one day for travel. Um, it's just so much easier to schedule travel when you know exactly that everybody league wide, basically sport wide for minor league baseball has that Monday off. Um, that's going to be fascinating. There's no playoffs this year. As far as we know, that's only going to be a 2021 thing. Maybe it's something that doesn't come back permanently, but for right now, just for 2021, no playoffs in any of these leagues. Um, also, no all-star games, um, which is a little unfortunate, but again, at a time where we're trying to limit travel in a COVID world and we don't know where things are going to stand come May or June, typically when the uh, all-star games are, are running up. Um, you know, we, we don't want to have everybody traveling to one spot if everybody's not vaccinated yet. So all-star games are off the table for this year. Maybe they'll come back in, in 2022. Um, but, but Ben, like specifically from a business side, when it comes to Mondays off and these six game home stands, how do you kind of think that's going to work operationally? Like are teams in favor of just knowing that they're going to have the team, you know, in town for six games at a time? Um, what is it going to be like to lose Monday dates? Somebody pointed out to me earlier, like there's no games on, on Memorial Day, technically, and, and some other holidays that are going to be on Monday. So what is that effect going to have on milk clubs, you think? Well, you know, it's uh, minor league baseball, you know, the entire time, you know, I've been in this world, we've been in this world. One of the biggest cliches is the grind. And of course, uh, you hear that on the player end the most, you know, these no days off bus rides, just grinding, grinding, grinding. Uh, it's very much like that in the front offices as well. And, you know, you're talking about like, oh, my God, this is game nine of a 10 day homestand. And, you know, Tyler's been in that world, especially from a broadcaster end where you're doing the traveling as well. Um, you know, burnout in the industry is a very real thing combined with often uh, pay that we could describe as suboptimal. Um, you know, the combination of the crazy hours and the pay uh, has resulted in a lot of uh, the best and brightest, so to speak, to not be part of the industry uh, once they get a little older and uh, start, uh, you know, maybe reprioritizing a little bit. So 
uh, you know, maybe jumping to conclusions, but I do think that's a small thing that can mitigate some burnout across minor league baseball, not just on the player end, but just across the industry and then the work you have to do. Um, I mean, you're right about Memorial Day and maybe peak summertime when every day is a day to, to draw fans. But on the whole, there is no lower attended minor league baseball game than a Monday. Uh, I can attest to that. Um or Tuesdays sometimes, but anyway, you know, those mid, especially when school's still in, when the weather's cold, uh, I can attest that through my road trips through the years, especially in my early days when I was just trying to get to every ballpark and I would hit teams on Mondays and it was just, you know, the joke always was, you know, you should have been here tomorrow or yesterday or any other day, which I, then I was actually there. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, you know, there's been always been a lot of joking about, uh, you know, jealousy of the short season leagues that they didn't have to, you know, operate on, you know, Monday, April 16th, and uh, certainly lose money because, again, uh, you have a certain amount of expenses just to open the ballpark and staff it, uh, and you're often not going to really uh, come close to uh, breaking even uh, if you draw 460 fans on a 34-degree uh, night in Wisconsin or whatever the case may be. So I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of love loss for these Mondays. There will be select dates where I think they, they – industry will wish there was some exceptions for sure but um, as long as they get in as many games as possible overall in the schedule uh, I don't look at this as a, you know a particularly uh, bad thing uh, regarding that but like so many things uh, you know I haven't talked to uh, too many people in the industry about it yet and uh, you know interesting interested to get more perspectives and uh, you know just kind of see what the thoughts are on this and so many other things as they evolve Ben, the uh, season being on the horizon gets us a chance to talk about some normalcy. And I think one of the things that I really liked in our discussion last week was you hammered home the point that, you know, the things that people have gone to minor league baseball games for in the past, they're still going to be there. And uh, the leagues might have different names. You might be seeing a different visiting team and all of that. But everything that you love about minor league baseball uh, is still going to be present. And in that vein, you've got some stories up on the site uh, that feel very much like regular uh, back to somewhat normalcy preseason stories with some of the oldest ballparks in the minors, some of the longest lasting affiliations in the minors. Um, and let's talk about the affiliate story first, because uh, this obviously is such a, a new era, 120 teams now in the minor league landscape, 11 leagues, uh, four levels of play. But there are teams that we can look back on uh, that have partnerships going back decades and decades with their uh, major league parent clubs, including uh, two of the longest lasting ones uh, in, I think, the history of minor league baseball. Uh, Redding, the longtime Redding Phillies, now the Redding Fight and Phils. Uh, Lakeland, the Flying Tigers uh, franchise that's been with the Detroit organization for a long time. This is the, the perfect stamp of that continuity of, hey, this is still minor league baseball. This is still what we've done for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, going into this period of change and, you know, so much new information coming in and, you know, us being a little unsure of how to cover things, uh, starting things out with uh, just so many variables at play. Uh, in the wake of this news, I did decide to focus on some things that maybe highlighted that despite all the change, despite all the uncertainty, despite in, you know, many quarters, people feeling, you know, uncertain how they feel about minor league baseball going forward. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight how much is still there that, used to be there and kind of the point that we made last week in talking that yes this is an extreme change but minor league baseball has always been a world of change and um it's hard to write about it because it's hard to make sense and contextualize it when there's just been so many changes so for this story i want to say despite this world of change then now and always 
uh, there are things that stay the same. And uh, this article on the longest affiliations is an update on a story I did from 2014, because obviously things have changed since then. Uh, that 2014 story, uh, five of the teams listed in that story that had the longest affiliation are no longer part of the landscape. You know, a handful from the Appy League um, that, you know, that dated back to the 70s, you know, Billings, Mustangs, and the Pioneer League. Of course, Pawtucket Red Sox, um, you know, who are no longer in Pawtucket, and therefore that affiliation dating back uh, 50 years uh, is no longer. But despite all that, Tyler, like you mentioned, the two longest affiliations of minor league baseball continue. Uh, Reading and Philadelphia, Lakeland and Detroit, 1967 both. So to think about what everything was like in 1967, America, baseball, minor league baseball, to think that there's been a consistent link going back then is pretty remarkable. Longest in AAA, Omaha, the other one from the 60s. 1969, Omaha and Kansas City still intact. Um, the five teams on the back end of this article you know, weren't in the last article because they weren't in the top 10 then. Uh, Birmingham Barons and Chicago White Sox, 1986, Toledo Mudhens in Detroit, 1987, Blue Jays, 1987 with Toronto, St. Lucie Mets, 1988 with the New York Mets, then San Jose Giants, 1988 with the San Francisco Giants. There are four Florida State League or formerly Florida State League teams on this list now, uh, low A East uh, League teams. Um, you know, I feel like they get a little bit of an asterisk because they play at the spring training facility and are in most cases owned by the major league club. So it's obviously easier for that relationship to remain intact, but still um, the parameters I used for this story was the teams had to stay in the same city um, on the minor league side and uh, retain the same affiliation. And uh, I think it's kind of worthwhile now to look and uh, find those things, those areas of consistency that we can focus on amid all the change, uh, you know, something to uh, hold on to a little bit, you know, when the going gets a little rough. And keeping going with that, Ben, um, you did this other story that Tyler mentioned there quickly uh, that I, I really enjoy just because so much of what we have you on the show for over the past couple of years is to explain new ballparks and tell us what they look like and what they feel like and what trends are happening in ballpark building. But you did this story on the oldest Meyer League ballparks uh, still in use. And we're going back to 1914, 1923, 1924. We're not talking about like, oh, you know, the 70s and 80s here, uh, like we are with these affiliations. These are going back, in some cases, almost a century or more than a century. Uh, so, you know, with some of these ballparks, Jackie Robinson Ballpark in Daytona, still around. Thankfully, Daytona is still an affiliate. Uh, now they moved to Loway, but still around an affiliated ball. Uh, that's that being the oldest. But what what is it about these parks that made this list? Like, why are they still around? Why have they not given in? Uh, to some of these modern changes and, and these modern stadiums? And, and what stands out to you from your visits? Well, you know, I love old ballparks. And, you know, at, at the end of the 2018 season, uh, after I'd, you know, completed a full tour of the minor league landscape that took the better part of a decade, uh, when I made a list of my favorite ballparks, I realized more than I had realized prior to doing it, how many of my favorite ballparks were the old ones. Because in the old ballparks, you have a sense of history, a, th a throwback feel, so to speak. Um, being able to step into a portal a little bit that uh, brings you back to a different era. So I think these places should be celebrated the same way that in Major League Baseball, you know, we celebrate Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. Uh, I think it's great to look at that on the minor league side and see these these ballparks that just date back, you know, in some cases, seemingly almost impossibly long time. Uh, how did these survive? It's a little bit of luck, luck of the draw and a lot of factors. Um, you know, just in terms of retaining affiliation through not just these current changes, but so many changes in the past. Um, 
upkeep maintenance renovations are obviously huge uh, part of the reorganization put a you know even greater emphasis on the facility standards so all these old ballparks to still be meeting those standards heading into 2021 goes without saying that a lot of improvements have been made through the years you know i, I was looking at this article on facebook and the way people on facebook are you know people are saying like i can't why would why'd you have everett you know on this list it was basically you know rebuilt completely and i get that um you know in a lot of cases the facilities as they are now uh, are very different than what they are when they opened and it can be hard like anything when you're trying to contextualize uh, the minor league baseball present past future it can be hard to set the right parameters for an article like this but all of these ballparks date back in some way shape or form uh you know to when they were originally constructed i mean daytona the, the oldest ballpark 1914 and it's just hard to imagine in 1914, it was a playing field and some wooden bleachers. It really wasn't the same ballpark we see today. But the playing field is basically in the same exact place. It was renamed Jackie Robinson Ballpark in 1946. At that point, it already had been open for you know, 30-some years, even before Jackie Robinson played there in 1946. And, th and it wasn't until 89 they named the ballpark after him. So you just talk about the history in a place like that is amazing. I mean, they've changed in innumerable ways through the years, but they've found a way to survive and uh, all in their own ways offer a really unique throwback feel. And I love new ballparks. In a way, this is a companion piece of sorts to the article we talked about last week about all the new ballparks in the landscape. There's gonna be nine in 2021 making their minor league debut. So why not look at the end of the spectrum and see the ones that are uh, staying constant uh, through all the years. And the it actually ended up being a top 11 list because 10 was a tie. Uh, between Vancouver and Reading with ballparks built in 1951. But all the ballparks on this list were open between 1914 and 1951. That's older than any major league stadium still in operation, except the um, what, Fenway is what, 1918 and Wrigley is whatever. But beyond those two, these 11 ballparks are open, you know, are far outdate the average major league facility. And of course, most of those in the minors as well. A great piece. It's up uh, on the site at MILB.com. Um, I feel very good because unlike Ben, I haven't been to all 10, but I have been to four of these and I would echo exactly what he said, which among those, they're some of my absolute favorites uh, in minor league baseball. And uh, Ben's story on the affiliations up on the site as well. You can head to MILB.com slash Ben's biz. Above all, Coming out of this conversation, the thing that feels best is this feels like, oh, yeah, this is just a conversation that we would have with Ben, like leading into a season. And that feels pretty great. And I'm uh, I'm very excited for that element of this. Yeah, I am as well. Um, it's been a lot of treading water, a lot of uncertainty uh, to everyone who's still listened to this. And I know there's a good amount. I, I just appreciate everyone sticking with this and, and showing, you know, in the same way that when, uh, you know, it's a different scenario, but, you know, when you stick with the team, when they're not doing well and then you enjoy their success even more when they do well again i, I look at that for the entirety of minor league baseball really hard times uh a major restructuring the loss of a season um the people who stuck with it now and uh, listened and paid attention and cared um you know i, know I speak for all of us just how appreciative we are of that and uh, how much deeper the satisfaction will be as we get more and more quote unquote normal as the uh months uh, go by and I, where I think we're all looking forward to that goes without saying amen to that thanks Ben thank you Tyler thank you Sam I'll talk to you guys soon well we're very pleased uh, to be joined this week on the show before the show the minor league baseball podcast by number 46 overall prospect a very prominent prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays 
system, Jordan Groshans. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks so, so much for doing this. So you are calling us from Florida. Uh, you just got there earlier this week. Um, you know, what, what, it, what is your level of anticipation right now? Because position players, you guys haven't gone through full squad, squad workouts quite yet, but, um, you know, where's your kind of level of anticipation for getting this spring training finally off the ground? Oh, I mean, I'm ready to go. Um, been here since early this week, waiting to get the, the COVID intake screening and the physicals done this weekend. Um, and then I, I believe Monday is when we hit the ground rolling. So I'm ready for it. You know, being being up in the hotel room all week, just waiting for it. It's been hard, but it's coming around. So Yeah, and take us through that because you're one of the first people we've talked to who was actually physically reported to spring training. Um, you know, what have you been able to do? Like, what is this intake testing really involved for you? Um, it's just, I think it's a spit test, the antibodies, um, just like the usual. Um, but I'm quarantined in my hotel room right now. I can't do anything. Um, so I've just been eating and my, my dad actually sent me with like some workout stuff, like some bands and, uh, up stuff so I can keep my body in shape. But besides that, Lots of Netflix. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that is there any show you're you're just binging absolutely right now? Yeah, the uh, Vampire Diaries. I know that sounds kind of like a chick flick thing, but <laughs> it's probably it's probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. So um, I've been knocking that out, and it's been pretty good. So I mean, whatever gets you through the day. Honestly, I've never seen Vampire Diaries, but I imagine anything that'll pass the time in quarantine is gonna be a good show. So that, that's pretty cool. But in in terms of for yourself personally, coming off this off season, um, last year should have been the second full season for you. you know, what was this off season like for you? Like, what were your points of emphasis? Um, obviously, to get faster, stronger. Um, I improved a lot of my hitting in the 2020, the alternate site. Uh, my defense was really, really good. Um, so just you know, keeping those same focus points with my defense, with my offense. Um, but for me, the main one was get really big and hit baseballs really hard. <laughs> so um, I did that, and I'm confident with where I'm at, and I'm ready to do some damage. Yeah, so. I mean, we are we are in best shape of our life territory here, obviously, beginning of spring training. But when you talk about getting big, uh, how are you able to do that? Like, wh what would you say is, is your shape right now? And, um, you know, how have you grown since the last time we saw you, which for minor league baseball fans was all the way back at low A Lansing in 2019? Oh, well, I, well, I was one, 190. I'm 210 now. So, okay. Um, baseball jumped a little bit different off the bat. So hey, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and what, in terms of weight training and all that, like what were your points of emphasis again, just to, to get to that weight and to add baseball weight? Cause it's one thing to just get strong, but you need to get strong in specific areas and be able to impact the baseball and, and you know, put it out there at high velocities. So, what were you focusing on to get into that, you know, two ten shape? Um, so my my trainer, basically the Blue Jays trainer um, that they paired me with, he had me going phases. Um, so and they went by like three to four week phases. Um, so he would have me go three weeks would be move a lot of weight, really heavy, um, and then the next phase would be move weight decent decent amount but fast. Um, so. I got really, really strong, and then I got really, really strong and fast with the weight. Um, so not only am I 
210 and, and strong and powerful, but I'm fast as well, too. I can move weight, move it fast. And I think that's important, you know, like you said, baseball shape. So um, definitely thanking the Blue Jays for, for getting me on the right path with that. Mm. And, yeah, and how do you measure that in terms of baseball? You know, you, you said a lot of the focus this offseason has been on hitting. And, uh, you know, there's every which way to measure how you're hitting, especially coming off quarantine. A lot of guys have had to find a way to measure how they're doing that's not batting average or OPS or something like that. So when you try to gauge where you are in your process of hitting, what do you lean on? Are you a field guy? Do you do you rely on analytics? Like, how are you judging that? Um, I've never really been a big analytics guy. Um, but this offseason, I, I leaned a little bit on both. Um, I mostly did a lot of field, but I worked on my, uh, my bat speed, bat plane, uh, my vertical bat angle, which is – hard to explain but the way I was taught from the Blue Jays is like the way the angle that my bat when it makes contact goes to the zone um so worked a little bit on that um and just little stuff like that just to you know hit more back line drives and homers instead of you know little dinky hits or ground balls to the middle you know hmm. so gotcha yeah and, and um yeah w- in terms of feel like when did you feel that clicked in was it something that, that happened in the off season was it some point even last year at the alternate site like when did you feel like you were really seeing results as part of this new process um you know i i had some success at the alternate site at the beginning and then i had a, about a, a week and a half where i struggled really bad and when i say feel it was i was going up there and me and my and the hitting coordinator were talking about it and i thought that i was ready to hit and now he worked with me on actually being ready to hit. And I know, like, to most people, that sounds like the same thing, but it's completely different. You know, like, I went up there, and I would, I would hit a ball, get a hit, and I'd be like, man, it felt good. And my hitting coordinator was like, you still weren't ready to hit. You weren't actually up there ready to hit every pitch. So um, once I kind of figured that out and, and understood that process and that idea, I think that's when I, I really turned my career around and, and started to jump. So. Hmm. And can you get a little bit more specific? Like, what is ready to hit to you? Just timing and, and positioning with my body. Um, it, it's hard to explain the whole process, but basically, when my foot gets down, my hands need to be up, and I need to be in that launch position instead of being re- like it's all for me. It's timing is being ready to hit. You know, um, I was I would be laid on a ball and I would shoot it the other way. And I, I wasn't on time to hit. I just got lucky. You know, I just threw my bat out there and got a hit. And then after that, when I learned how to be ready, I was actually on time, ready to hit the ball that was outside, and I drove it for a double the other way. Mm. So basically it's instead of just reacting to it, I'm actually looking for something, and I'm ready to hit the pitch instead of just, oh, God, it's on me, and then just reacting. Oh, that's interesting. And especially to hear you talk about that, week and a half stretch there where you struggled because you know you were a first round pick 12th overall in 2018 you performed pretty well in that first 2018 season and again got off to a a strong start with Lansing before the injury and we'll come back to that here in a second Um, but how humbling was it to have that week and a half stretch at the alt site because being there you were with a bunch of guys who were on the cusp of the majors some of which got called up uh, to help the Blue Jays in their playoff run um, you know, what was that experience like being for you at such a young age? It was good, you know. Um, honestly, I, I, I'm glad it did happen um, because I haven't really 
I would say failed miserably so far in my career until then, until that week and a half, I was like, man, like what, what's going on? Is my swing not going to play at this level? You know, so going through that failing and learning how to pick myself up from that and, and turn it around and do something good with it. Um, that, that really helped a lot. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. It helps with my mentality, maturity, everything. Like I learned how to fail and how to bounce back from failure. Hmm. And I mean, a lot of what we talk about with minor leaguers is what they lost in 2020 for obvious reasons, not being able to play. It sounds like you had a ton to gain. Do you almost feel better about the way you had to go through 2020 having to deal with that failure? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, the 2020 season was a letdown. Um, you know, it's hard alternate site. I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me for the situation. Um, I mean, obviously a full 2020 season would have been great. Um, but what I was fortunate enough to experience and the opportunities I got, I think was monumental for my career. Um, huge. So being around older guys, um, maturing, uh, learning how to handle failure, learning how to, to get a real routine, a real process before every game, before every practice, I think was, was huge. And, yeah, just to go back to that foot injury, you suffered that in May uh, of 2019. So, again, it has been a long time since we've seen you on, on a minor league field. You only got 23 games in with the lug nuts before that happened. Uh, how long did it feel for you to be ready to play baseball again and, and feel fully, you know, fully a baseball player, to put it frankly? Like, how long did it take to fully feel healed after that injury that knocked you out so early in the 2019 campaign? Uh, I would say the 2020 spring training before it got canceled, I was ready to go. Um, I was in live at bats. I was taking ground balls. I was no restrictions. I was ready to go. I was ready to be a Blue Jay again. Um, and then obviously things changed, but yeah, I was ready to go. You know, it was a long year. I'm not going to lie. A long year of, of rehab and, and hard work and, and everything that comes along with that. But it was tough. It was tough mentally. Yeah. I was going to ask, how, how do you, get over that mental hump um, again, again, especially that was supposed to be your, your first full season. And there's so much anticipation that goes into that expecting to play 120 plus games and then only getting cut off at 20, um, you know, to start your career like that and fits and starts, I'm sure must be difficult. So what mental tricks or what were you talking to yourself about as that, you know, July became August became September and the season was over. You know, it was, it was, I would say it was the people I had in my corner, you know, it wasn't, I wouldn't say I really did anything different. It was just the people that I surrounded myself with and was put with, um, put me in the best spot mentally that I could be in. Um, you know, I was, I was put around a, a really good rehab coordinator, Phil Domino, um, trainers, everybody like that. So, um, I was in the best, best position to succeed possible. Um, and that's all thanks to the Blue Jays, you know, it could have been, they could have been given up on me and traded me and got rid of me, but they didn't, you know, they stuck with me through everything and put me around a bunch of people that they knew would, would help me bounce back from it and, and become an even better player. So. Hmm. Yeah, and, you, and you talked about before working on your uh, defensive stuff uh, this off season. I know you're primarily a shortstop, uh, but you have a little bit of experience at third base. Have you mixed it up this off season? Are you expecting to do that this uh, you know, coming up as, as a non-roster invitee, or are you stuck at short right now? Uh, I've been doing a little bit of everything, you know, short, third. So 
So um, I would say I've been taking a lot more reps at third um, just because, you know, Bo Bichette's a, our shortstop, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yep. think anything's going to change that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm here to go wherever they need me and fill that spot. And if that's third base, that's third base. You know, if it's left field, it's left field. So um, I've just been kind of moving everywhere and doing everything I can do. And at, at what point do you make that switch? Because I feel like with so many young players such as yourself, it's always, you know, I'm going to stick to one position until I'm knocking on the door of the majors and then I'll switch if there's somebody up there. But knowing Bo Bichette's there, he was recently a Blue Jays prospect himself. Um, at what point did you switch like, oh, man, I really am going to have to move positions if I want to stick here in Toronto? Um, it's been kind of hard because I don't really know. Um I haven't really heard anything as, hey, you're going to start playing this position because that's what we see in the big leagues. It's more, you know, just get reps at both. Um, and I would say probably just to be ready for either or. Um, so I haven't fully made a switch yet. I'm just waiting for them to tell me that because once they do, that's when I'll make that switch. Because hmm. um, I, I don't want to make the switch and then they're like, oh, no, we don't want you there. We want you over here. And then I wasted a bunch of time at uh, a position that I'm not going to be playing. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's kind of all on them, you know, whenever they, whenever they tell me they want me to start playing third or wherever, I'll, I'll start doing it. So I've just been training there. I, I've been giving equal reps to each position, um, just to be ready. So when they do say that I'll, I'll be ready to hit the ground running. And is that something like you'll volunteer to them? And, you know, the guys in the player development staff just saying like, Hey, I've done this. If you want to start using me as an option, or are you going to, like you say, wait for them to come to you and ask about that stuff? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, you know. Um, obviously, want them to tell me where I should go and where I should play. But at the same time, I'm just trying to get to the big leagues. I'm trying to help the team win. I'm trying to be an impact player, and wherever they see me fit, that's where I'm going to play. Uh, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to, you know, defend myself any reason. I'm going to wherever they tell me to play. I'm going to learn how to play it and be the best player I can be at that position. And what are you looking forward to most about being a non-roster invite? Uh, to this spring training. It's not something you've really gone through before. You you don't even have a, a grapefruit league at bat yet, so the next one is going to be your first one. Uh, but looking forward to this, especially as somebody who's already gone through the alt site, you've already been around veteran players, but what are you looking forward to most about the next couple of weeks? Hopefully becoming a not a non-roster, being on the roster. Um, and I know a lot of people think I'm crazy for that, but I'm I'm ready. You know, I, I think I've been ready for that, and I'm here to show everybody that I am ready to be in the big leagues. So hmm. that's that, my plan. Yeah, no, that, uh, I love that uh, thought process. And especially now with Toronto being kind of one of the winners of the offseason in many ways, bringing in George Springer, um, being aggressive, trying to add to the talent base that is pretty young between Bobichet, like we said, and Kevin Biggio and Vlad Jr. Uh, you know, how much did that offseason – build up your your own anticipation for, hey, I want to join this club as much, as quickly as possible? I mean, it's huge. You know, you see what we did last year, and you see how close we were and, and everything that happened. And, and now with the additions of Springer and, and Simeon and everybody that, that's on our on our team now, you know, it's, it's hard not to be excited. You know, and if you're not excited, <laughs> then you need to go, you know. So it's, it's pretty big. I think with all the additions we had, I think that this team is going to be something special and, a danger to a lot of teams, let me tell you. So, and I'm not even up there yet <laughs> from the minor league side. You know, I couldn't even imagine what the feeling is in in the major league clubhouse with all around. You know, the main guys. You know, so 
just from from being a minor leaguer and and being for me i think i'm closer than than i think um being around that environment is huge you know it's it's stuff that a lot of people don't see from the outside looking in um but it's something special man let me tell you yeah and and just briefly uh you know how do you show major league readiness again you you haven't gotten that call yet you don't know what it's going to be until it happens but as you look forward here to the next couple weeks and maybe even months until that call comes what do you feel like you have to do to show that hey i i am ready when you guys are rake absolutely rake there you go (laughs) so um obviously no i'm just i'm just kidding but um obviously you know just just show my development you know show everything that i've learned over the over the 2020 year and how much I've developed as a player and, and how much more mature I am now and, and that I can handle failure. I can handle being in that environment and just being at the end of the day, being a good teammate, you know, that's something the Blue Jays preach a lot. And that's the reason I love the organization is because it's a, it's a very team environment. You know, it's, there's no I, you know, so it's great, but that's my plan is just show them that I'm ready, you know, be the, be the mature kid in the environment and, and show them what I got and show them how much I've developed. Hmm. All right, Jordan, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, I love playing into a, a good sibling rivalry whenever I can. Um, but before I do that, I, I want to just quickly get your scouting report of your brother, Jack Scrotion's uh, 2019 fifth over, or fifth round pick out of Kansas. He's now in the, the Red Sox system. Uh, somebody who you know we haven't seen much of yet on, on the minor league stage, but uh, what do Red Sox fans have to look forward to in your brother, Jack? He's, he's going to be something special to that organization. Um He's, I know he gets slept on a lot, uh, but he works harder than anybody I've ever met in my life. Um, he's, I think he's a five-tool player. He can run, he can throw, he can hit, hit the power. Um, one of the best catchers I've ever seen, and that's from, you know, I play with a lot of really good catchers. Um, I just, he's, he's a special player. He can hit, he can do it all. Um, and it sucks because he got drafted in the time where, he had his first season, and then his second one got taken away from him. And, you know, that second season is really big. You know, that, for a lot of guys, that's a jump from, from short season to their first full season. Um, and it's unfortunate he hasn't gotten to do that yet. But I think once he does, he's going to take off, and he's going to be really good. Hmm. Really, really good. And, and you guys are, are two Texas guys. Now you're playing in the AL East between Toronto and potentially Boston uh, for your brother. Does that play into it? Like, is there any, like, all of a sudden, like, what do your parents do if you're playing in Toronto and Boston's in town, your brother's there? Are they going to do the split jersey? Or is one going to wear Red Sox, the other Blue Jays? Have you guys talked about that yet? Uh, I think that's a bridge we'll burn, you know, once we get there. <laughs> but right, fair I'd imagine it would be, you know, probably, probably I would say half and half. You know, my dad and the Blue Jays and my mom and the Blue Jays and vice versa, you know. So, I don't know. Um, that's something fun to think about, but I would hope they both be wearing Blue Jays jerseys. <laughs> but that's, just, that's just me, but um, it'll be good. I'm excited for that. You know, it's it's cool to dream about getting to the major leagues, but getting to the major leagues with your brother, something a lot of people will never get to experience, and it's it's cool. You know? All right, Jordan, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, as I said, you guys are Texas guys, and we were talking a little bit briefly before uh, we went live here. Um, you know about you going to Florida uh, a little early because of what's going on in Texas with the deep freeze and, and the electricity problems and so many things going on right there. Uh, if, what message do you have for the people back home and um, you know who you're thinking about back in Texas going through all that? 
Uh, my mom's seeing this. I love you, mom. Um, but everybody just stay smart, you know, don't, don't go out, don't do dumb stuff. You know, it's a hard time and you need to be smart and, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your family, you know? So, um, I know that's something my girlfriend's having a problem with, you know, she wants to go out and have fun, but yeah, you got to stay safe. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, uh, number 46 overall prospect, Jordan Groshans, you heard it here first. Big eyes looking at potentially making the, uh, the major league team out of camp. We'll see how that works. But uh, really excited to, to see what you can do over there in Dunedin as a non-roster advice, Jordan. And thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's uh, not actually a three-strike segment, but... It is going to feel like it is almost a three-strike segment, which is very fitting because it feels like we're almost getting back to the point where we're going to have minor league baseball, and uh, it's it's we're all you know trying to keep ourselves from getting too excited. But it's it's just me and Sam now. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Uh, I mean, we can call it uh, the three-strike segment. Really, I don't want to I mean, do it yet. Be... I don't want to do it yet. Okay. All right. All right. You act like there's off. branding here. Like, you know, these are the three strikes registered trademark. We can only use it legally. <laughs> yeah, legally, we can only do it if it's the first segment and there's three topics and maybe a foul ball. But according to our lawyers, to, we cannot call this the three strikes. I don't want to bring it out of retirement just yet. Not out of retirement, okay. just out of like a, a hiatus, a little like year long hiatus, you know. I feel like we have to get the vaccine before we can bring that. Okay. Okay. Like, that's like, that's got to be the cutoff. We both <laughs> have to get it. Pfizer and then yeah. all of a sudden it'll be three strikes can come out of its uh its holding pen it seems um, like a natural uh cutoff point for me. <laughs> well we do have three important topics to discuss with you on this the second segment of this week's episode of the uh show before the show and uh we're gonna start it with this week pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training all across the baseball landscape uh, as exciting and as crazy as that is to believe. Now, all of that being said, not all the pitchers and catchers, uh, as we discussed last segment, there will be a, a delayed start to the minor league season at the AA and Class A levels. So not necessarily all top prospects will be in camps uh, across Florida and Arizona, but some certainly will be. Toolshed had a great column of uh, the potential best batteries in minor league baseball, pitchers and catchers working with each other uh, as the season draws closer. Sam, it's been so long since we've gotten a chance to talk about things in a realistic sense like this. Uh, first of all, how exciting was it to just like dive back into a toolshed column that was like, man, this might be really happening soon. Yeah, I mean, the, the projections pieces that I've been working on that just concluded this week with the NOS were kind of that. It was like yeah. looking forward to an actual major league season. But this specifically was about minor league pairings. Right. And to be able to talk about like where guys will probably end up. Now, that's very tricky to do before spring training. It's usually tricky to do during any spring training, really. I mean, how many times, Tyler, have we gone to spring training and done season previews and guys come back and be like well we don't know where we're going to place them yet right and then we, we tried to guess and they're wrong and all that it's it's a very difficult business but just for and that's in normal times now after going a year without minor league baseball trying to predict where these guys are going to go it's probably a fool's errand but i did it anyway um but Good. yeah just thinking about like yeah we like fools. trying to think about like <laughs> not really <laughs> uh but just trying to think about like where what 
top pitchers are going to be paired with top catchers was just a really fun project to work on. Um, and, and it seemed like it was that for the players too. I don't know if you saw this, but the first one I had on the list was Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. And those two guys worked very briefly together at Class A Delmarva two years ago. Um, and then they worked together at the alt site last year. And Grayson Rodriguez shared the piece and was just like, oh, hey, buddy. Like they, even though they know they're kind of paired together at this point and that they are the, for, the future of the Orioles system. So that, that's kind of neat to see that play out. But some other ones I'm looking at, um, Luis Camposano and Mackenzie Gore in the Padres system. Camposano made his major league debut last year. Uh, his only hit in the majors right now is a home run. That's pretty good to have on the resume. Unfortunately, he got injured and didn't appear again in the ma- majors. Um, so we expect him to be in AAA El Paso. He does have some issues still stemming from marijuana charges in Georgia. We don't know what the status of that's going to be, if he's going to miss a chunk of the season. But if things continue as they're looking right now, he'll probably be in El Paso. Mackenzie Gore will probably be in El Paso. Really exciting to see those two guys paired together. Kind of at the other end of the spectrum, uh, I'm going to keep my eye on the Mets system with Matthew Allen and Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez has basically shot up. Everybody's been very surprised. Not surprised, I guess, but very pleased with how he's progressed going back last year to the alt site. This is somebody who hadn't played yet in full season ball, um, but seems to be carrying himself well against advanced competition. The same could be said of Matthew Allen. He's by far the top pitching prospect in the Mets system. They could both start out potentially uh, at low A or even high A. We'll see how that's going to kind of shake out, whether that's St. Lucie or Brooklyn. But either way, I think they're kind of on the same track. Both guys haven't seen full season ball yet. Uh, They really need to get their legs out under them. I expect them to be together. And Pitching with each other and growing with each other should be very exciting for Mets fans. So, um, yeah, check out the column. There, there's a whole bunch of other ones going on, whether it's guys I expect at the top of the minors or the bottom of the minors. But while we have pitchers and catchers on the mind, I mean, that's a there's nothing more optimistic, right, than the phrase pitchers and catchers. So why not look forward to the minor league season as well? And it was pretty great to uh, even just dive into that and imagine a day when you may see Adley Rushman in the crouch and Grayson Rodriguez dealing a pitch to him because um, it has been way too long since we've gotten to think about all of that in a minor league ballpark. I mean, obviously, you know, guys got work at alt sites last year. We saw some prospects graduate and all that type of stuff. But for those of us who love the minors, this is uh, this is the uh, oasis in a very lengthy and brutal desert. Um, topic number two. This week, I'm not going to call it strike two. Uh, non-roster invitations coming out across the game of baseball. Ordinarily, throughout, really, starting in some organizations, November, December, we'll get these notifications of, okay, well, these prospects have been extended an invitation to join their team uh, at Major League Spring Training. This year, there were so many, uh, obviously, variables coming into what spring training would look like and uh, all those sorts of things. We are getting some top prospects uh, who are, have received those invitations, continue getting those invitations, have figured out that they are in big league camp or headed to big league camp. We've talked to guys who have already been in Arizona and Florida. Um, I know as of just a couple of days ago, a guy we had on the podcast just last year, Josiah Gray, the number 58 overall prospect for the Los Angeles Dodgers, number 58 overall uh, in baseball and the top pitching prospect in the Dodgers organization. He was invited to that camp. Um, Sam, who else stands out for the non-roster invitees among top prospects for this year? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the, the biggest year for non-roster invitees, not in terms of depth, but just in level of entry because we haven't seen them in so long. I mean, without a minor league season, this is really going to be our chance to see them on 
not a, not a big stage by any means, but just public facing. I mean, yeah, like you said, Tyler, they got in their work at the alt site. They got in their work at Instructs in some cases. Um, but in terms of playing in front of cameras, playing in, in ways that it, we're going to get game day data on these guys, we're going to get results that we can all see and discuss. That's going to be pretty exciting, even if it's in small chunks here and there, and, and to measure these guys' progress. Um, so the, the one that obviously is going to stand out to me is Wander Franco. Uh, we know how close he sort of got to the Rays last year. He was on their taxi squad during postseason. Um, you know, maybe it was an injury or two away from actually making his debut during their playoff run. He is by far the top prospect in baseball. All the reports are that he has not slagged off in his year off. Um, he's still got an 80 grade hit tool, still the best prospect in baseball. And many expect, myself included, for him to debut at some point this season. Now, when is that going to be? Is that first half? Is that second half? I don't think we're going to get all the answers here in the Grapefruit League. Obviously, Willie Adamas plays his position. Uh, but let's see what Franco is able to do. Is he able to push that envelope? Is he going to rarely swing and miss like he like he always has in the minors? Um, is he going to spray the ball all over the field like he's done at every stop? Uh, so that's one I'm going to keep a close eye on. To go back to somebody we mentioned last segment, Mackenzie Gore, another one. Padres have added a lot of different uh, you know talents, obviously, this offseason, uh, recently resigning. Fernando Tatis Jr., that's not adding a talent, but it's very clear that they are in go-for-it-now mode. Bringing in Joe Musgrove, bringing in Blake Snell, bringing in Yu Darvish. Their rotation right now is pretty full, and that's not even including Mike Clevenger, who's going to be injured for much of this year. So that pushes Gore to the periphery, but depth is always going to be an issue. So he was somebody who was left on the outside looking in last year because it sounds like he was working on mechanics at the alt site. Now you know, maybe he's gotten those smoothed out. Can he be the number six or seven pitcher based on how he looks in the spring? Going to be keeping a very close eye on that. I could keep going on and on, but the one other one I want to throw out real quick, just in terms of there being a need on the major league roster and also it being a major league team that's going for it is Andrew Vaughn with the White Sox. Um, Andrew Vaughn, somebody who we do expect, again, to debut at some point this year. The White Sox making tons of moves uh, this offseason. Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks among them, bringing Adam Eaton to solve an outfield spot. Andrew Vaughn, it sounds like they tried to increase his defensive versatility a little bit, but he's mostly stuck to first base, which has Jose Abreu. That being said, Chicago seems to have an opening right now at DH, and Andrew Vaughn could certainly be a very good DH. He brings an incredible amount of raw power. His hit tool is good as well. Uh, would would plug right in there really right away. And if the White Sox have their eyes on winning the AL Central, I would make the case that they should have all their best bats in the lineup as they can. If Andrew Vaughn's hitting 350 this spring with three or four homers, it's going to be really hard to send him to Charlotte and just be like, oh, you need to work on some stuff. Put his bat in the lineup, figure out the defensive stuff later, let Jose Abreu play first. Um, but if he's hitting 250 and only goes deep once and strikes out 15 times, then that conversation is much easier. So going to be keeping a close eye on those three. Again, so many top prospects in camp this year. You can't go wrong in, in terms of who you're looking at uh, to see just what, what, who are these guys now? Uh, because last time we saw them in a public facing way in many ways was September, 2019, which feels like not even one lifetime ago, two, two lifetimes ago, really. 
And our final topic for this week's uh, second segment is one that uh, is major league and minor league connected. And that is uh, a story from north of the border and from Keegan Matheson at BlueJays.com. Quote, the Blue Jays will open the 2021 Major League season using TD Ballpark in Dunedin, Florida as their home stadium, the club announced on Thursday. This is this past Thursday. We are uh, – no, this is uh, this is today. It's Thursday today, Sam. It is uh, Thursday. Yeah. By the time they hear it, it will be the past Thursday. Right, exactly. That's what I meant. Um, yeah. This will be the first phase of what the club hopes is a return to Toronto this summer, but there could be another stop along the way. Salem Field, which is located in Buffalo, New York, and where the Blue Jays – uh, called home in 2020 is on the table as a future option as the club works to piece together its plan around factors that include weather, the minor league season, and above all else, the COVID-19 pandemic. So the situation is, and obviously we saw this with the Blue Jays last year, we are seeing it right now with the Toronto Raptors who are playing in Florida for the NBA season. We are seeing it in a different context in the National Hockey League where every team in Canada is in a Canada-only division uh, for the 2020 and 2021 season. Uh, for the Blue Jays, being in Dunedin is something that will be very familiar to that team, but there are going to be a lot of logistical things to get figured out as the uh, formerly Florida State League season, the now Class A League uh, that will feature a Dunedin team. Uh, that'll get started. Now, obviously, there are a lot of other field options if the, the minor league games need to get moved to backfields or whatever it is. Um, also, a, a discussion that as the season moves along, depending on the pandemic situation, depending on how the Blue Jays are feeling about whether or not they can get a go-ahead uh, from the federal government in Canada to return to Toronto, there's a potential that the, the Blue Jays can just bypass Buffalo. They could stick it out for a while in Dunedin if they think maybe by May or June they can just go straight to Toronto and play out the rest of the season there. Um, a lot of stuff in play right now, but the biggest element of this is the Blue Jays are not doing this under a time crunch like they were last year, trying to get things figured out with just a few weeks to go before the season. There's a lot more leeway here for the Blue Jays to, to get a plan in place. Yeah, and one thing we should point out too is TD Ballpark there in Dunedin was recently renovated. Uh, minor league fans might remember that the entire 2019 season, the Dunedin Blue Jays essentially, they didn't play on the road necessarily, but they played a, a couple home games in Clearwater, uh, not at the home of the Threshers. I can't remember the name of the ballpark off the top of my head. I'm sure Ben is yelling and in his part of Brooklyn what the name of the park is. But uh, they they played in another park. They, they've done this before. And a lot of the renovations were to make the stadium basically ready for spring training and a little more built more up to par so like the dugouts and clubhouses right now are pretty much good to go by major league standards sounds like they're also going to be doing the same thing with lights that they did last year at buffalo bringing in additional lights to make it lighter there uh but in terms of how is this going to affect maybe your fantasy team if you're trying to think about how things are going to play out it, it's very difficult to predict it, it's again playing the game predict the pandemic um because as tyler said you know come june it sounds like the option is potentially there to go to Buffalo uh, if they decide not to stick it out in the Dunedin anymore, or they, if all is well, then they're going to go to Toronto. Maybe they're not even in Dunedin until that, you know, for that long, maybe they're only there for April. Lots to, to figure out there, but the, the park in Dunedin before the renovations, and I'm sure it's going to play pretty similarly now was hitter friendly for the old Florida state league. Um, anybody who's been there knows it's actually a pretty short porch in right center. Uh, it, that's, if you, if you can think of any left-handed hitters, um, that's essentially where you should aim it. I think it's like 363 to right center 
um, compared to about 380 in the left center. Um, so there is some room there to be hitter friendly, uh, which is saying something because the FSL, as we know, is a, is a pretty pitcher friendly park. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to see again, major league baseball in a minor league stadium um, come opening day at that place. You know, we're going to be watching a game or do like this stadium looks so familiar and yet it's a major league game happening here. Um, it's going to be really, really cool for, for the people of Dunedin. I hope they turn out in a, in a safe way, you know, in a 15% capacity, by the way, Yeah, what they'll and, start with in a way that they celebrate the moment um, because that, that is such a big deal. Uh, like TD ballpark. It is kind of like in a neighborhood. This is not stuff somewhere else. Like it, I remember going to park there and uh, I got there a little late because I was over at the minor league side and the guy's like, oh yeah, just follow that way. And I kept going, kept going, kept going. And then the guy directing me was pointing me to the left field foul pole. And he's like, park your car here. And I was like, that's the foul pole. Like that, he's like, yeah, yeah, no, right here. And I was in foul territory, but the rest of the game, I was just like, please, 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 Bo Bichette, don't. It's a rental. Like I cannot afford I did not buy foul ball insurance for this car. Yeah, and it was like the second day, of course, that I was in Florida. So, like, I can't – it would be a great story. But, um, but yeah, it is, it is a very neighborhoody field park, and I love stuff like that. I like minor league ballparks being put on the big stage like that. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances, uh, obviously, but it, it'll be fascinating to see how Dunedin plays when it gets its own spot in the spotlight. And there are other minor league components to this, just to be mindful of things to keep in mind. Um, from more from Keegan Matheson's story, he says, quote, the organization's border issues don't end there, of course. The Vancouver Canadians, Toronto's High A West affiliate, are the lone Canadian minor league club. Shapiro, referring to Mark Shapiro with the Blue Jays, acknowledged that the Canadians will need a new plan, too, which the organization is also working through. This is all a, a federal directive at the, uh, at the top level with Canadian government. So, that's something to, to keep in mind. There are also situations that it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, as the minor league season approaches stateside. I know uh, the Albuquerque isotopes as of right now, uh, it would be a challenge to be able to get games in Albuquerque with the way the New Mexico state government um, has handled their situation. Uh, New Mexico Lobos basketball and football have been largely uh, on the road for the entirety of their seasons, um, rarely even returning to the state of New Mexico. I know at least in the, the football team's case. And um, so there are, going to be a lot more of these conversations as the season gets closer and closer, but obviously we will keep you uh, very up to date on all of that. So with that, we have wrapped up our, uh, we're just prepping for three strikes. This is like a rehearsal. This is like a three strikes rehearsal. Would you say we're just on the on deck circle? Like uh, we're just taking like three hacks in the on deck circle. Uh, I see, what we'll I see call what's this. going yeah. on there. There we go. I see it. I see it. We got the sleeve. You got to go find the concrete part to hit the knob of the bat. So it'll come off. Smack in the dirt. Anyway, never mind. Um, so that's uh, we'll, we'll step aside. We'll wrap this thing up next. Getting set to uh, say goodbye for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Feels good to be talking about things in a uh, a real and hopefully tangible sense. And obviously, if there's anything that the last year has taught us, it's that uh, you kind of take everything and you keep it a little bit at arm's length because so much changes so quickly in this world today. But we are very hopeful that uh, we are real close to getting back to some minor league baseball and uh, seeing people back in stands uh, across the country safely. I know there are 
as of right now, I've received several emails from teams that are already, uh, you know, plotting out pod areas where ticket holders can sit that are socially distanced from each other and, and doing all the things to hopefully best serve uh, crowds that can arrive this season. And, you know, hopefully by the end of 2021, the world feels a little bit normal again. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely looking forward to that. And one thing I think to take away from this episode is that obviously we've been very optimistic about, about all this, like you said, coming out with schedules is an optimistic note talking about players being in minor league stadiums and on minor league teams and getting minor league assignments is an optimistic note. That's by no means like the green light to just go start out hanging outside with your friends and without your masks and, and going back to like, this was February, 2020 all over again. Um, one reason why cases are dropping so much is vaccinations for sure. But it seems like people are really taking this seriously coming off the really scary months of December and January. And we need to continue to do that. Um, and you know, the great thing about spring training now is there's so much access to so many things. Like you don't have to be in the stadium to hear the pop of the glove. So many teams have been very good about this, about sharing video of what pitchers look like and what hitters look like. And, um, we're getting all that stuff. The days of the grainy uh, PFPs are gone. Thank God. Um, so yeah, just if I leave you guys with anything, it's just, yes, there is uh, some bright spots on the horizon. Um, but in order to get to that horizon, we need to keep doing what we're doing now. And that's being safe and uh, being socially distant, wearing your masks, doubling up your masks, uh, is, is what the CDC is saying now. So please do that if you can. And uh, we'll get to baseball here right around the corner. And I can't wait for that. One thing I want to throw in real quick before we wrap here. You remember like on PTI, Tony Reale's original job was like stat boy. Yeah. And he would come in and he would correct things. Yeah. I'm going to stat boy myself here okay. real quick. I said in the beginning segment that teams are going to have Mondays off. That is true for 10 out of the 11 leagues. I, I just want to make sure everybody, because I'm sure people in the PCL or of the old PCL are yelling at me right now about AAA West. AAA West will have Wednesdays off. So all the other leagues are going to have Mondays off. The AAA West League is going to have Wednesdays off. Um, so if you've looked at the, the schedules in that league, you probably already know that. But just so everybody knows, it's not like all minor league baseball is going to be off on Monday. There will be one league playing, and then that league will have Wednesdays off as well. Uh, it's going to be a different feel for sure for that reason. Um, having only one league on Mondays, it, it's going to feel like Monday night baseball <laughs> in places like Albuquerque and Reno and Las Vegas. But uh, looking forward to that feeling. And, and again, the biggest part of that is just teams getting one guaranteed day off a week uh, at a time when maybe they're only getting one or two off a month. That's going to be huge for players and clubs uh, specifically. Um, and it's just one more quirk that we're looking forward to in the 2021 season. And if you're wondering why Wednesdays and you are a person who lives in the Western half of the United States and you have ever flown Southwest, eh, you know why. <laughs> it's, it's, it's way more affordable on Wednesdays. And that's what uh, a lot of those teams take. Um, so with that, we will wrap up this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Sam's head literally just disappeared into the background of his zoom call. It was terrifying. It was just a, it was just a floating hoodie. Oh my goodness. This is awful. Uh, <laughs> This doesn't translate to an audio medium, but it was still funny. Just take my word for it. It was funny. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. Get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Oh, before we go, 
we did get a question that I said at the top of the show that we were going to get to, and I uh, totally forgot. Michael Gauger got in touch with the show. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name, Michael. Uh, Michael asked, quote, will the high A East play any other high A, like in a playoff system? Love the podcast. I'm listening from Rome, Georgia. Michael, big thanks to you for tuning into the show from the former Sally League home uh, of the, the Rome Braves now. Uh, a team that uh, no longer in the Sally League, but still moving up in a ball. Um, this year, as what we know for 2021, no minor league playoffs in 2021. Uh, that is something that we do not have a, a definitive answer going forward for what that uh, postseason structure is going to look like if it will continue to exist. Uh, minor league playoffs have always been such a weird thing. I remember when I first started in minor league baseball, uh, somebody told me, just make sure that you're always on the right side and you're cheering against your team to make the playoffs because that's kind of how minor league front offices view it. Because by the time you get to September, kids are back in school, the weather gets a little bit chillier and all of that. The, the gate receipts dip precipitously for playoffs i know player development people uh are usually on the side of like wow i don't really want to risk the extra innings for guys in postseason in the playoffs and blah 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 but there is a certain segment also on the player development side that says these guys learn to win they play in a playoff environment that's great uh i know fans who love minor league baseball love the minor league playoffs so it wouldn't be a surprise if they return in 2022 but this year the delayed start to the season um you know the inability to know where the pandemic is going to be uh, by September, by October, that type of stuff Uh, for 2021, no minor league playoffs, but there will be an update on that after this season for what it'll look like going forward. And one thing I I want to point out too, that it's, it sounds like he was asking as well was like, could we see. Right. Kind of like across pollination. Right, right, right. Right. Which is not really something that happens. The only time that really used to happen was like the Carolina California all-star game. Yeah. Um, or obviously the AAA All-Star Game, the International and the PCL used to play each other. Uh, but in terms of a playoff system, that doesn't really sound in the cards uh, for for that type of scenario. High A East is going to be fascinating to follow this year. Um, just again, because they're such a wide swath of teams. we got teams in Hudson Valley and Brooklyn going all the way down to Rome. Uh, Winston-Salem, Hickory, all those teams down there. It is one of the bigger leagues that we have left. It sounds like they've gotten around some of the travel issues there. Like, I don't think Rome travels higher than Aberdeen and, and Hudson Valley may not go further south than Winston-Salem, I want to I want to say, but it, it's like North Carolina to, as far as they're going down. So it's not like the extremes will play each other this year. Yeah, How that'll shake out in a non-COVID year, we'll have to see. But in terms of somebody from high East playing somebody from high A Central, Maybe like Bowling Green, like Bowling Green used to be part of the Midwest League. Yeah. When they could play a lot of those teams from the high central like they used to. Uh, that's not in the cards right now, and I doubt that I, that will ever be the case. So that will now officially do it for this week's episode. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Maul. We'll talk to you next week.